Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. To celebrate the release of my new book of devotions on Ephesians for the next little while here on the podcast, I'm going to be releasing talks through the entire book of Ephesians. These talks have been preached in church services, on camps, and in other contexts, and some of them are as old as 2015, some as recent as 2022. Some have been on the podcast before, and some of them are brand new. If you like the talks, hopefully you'll love the devotions. There are 40 days of readings, and they'll take you through the entire book of Ephesians. You can order the book now by heading to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. All right, that's all for now. I hope you enjoy the talk. Some of you may have noticed that uh, during mealtimes, when they say it's special diets time, I get up and I go out. And that's not because I'm pretending to have a special dietary need just so that I can eat quickly. It's because I actually have been diagnosed with a deadly disease. You know, that's celiac disease and that means that I can't eat barley, wheat, oats or rye and if I do I will get very well acquainted with the toilet and then one day I'll get cancer and die. So it's bad, bad in the short term, bad in the long term but I went a long time in my life uh, before I was properly diagnosed with celiac, celiac disease. And it was silly that it happened like this because in my family, there's a lot of celiacs in my family. There's my dad, there's my, my, a bunch of my aunties, a bunch of my cousins, even my adopted little sister has celiac disease. I don't know how that happened, but it happens. And, my, and lots of people would say to me, oh, Tom, do you think you might have celiac disease? And I was like, do you think you could shut up? Because I don't want to have celiac disease. Because if I don't have, if I have celiac disease, I can't eat donuts, can't eat Vegemite, I can't eat, you know, proper burgers, I can't eat like good cake, I can't have some vitamin C tablets, I can't have Milo. It's bad. Life is not good. If you've got celiac, well, life is okay if you've got celiac disease. But there are lots of things that you miss out on. And so I avoided it for a long time. And I just eat whatever I wanted. And every, you know, every month or so, I just get really sick. And then I'd you know, try and figure out what it was. I'd be like, oh, maybe, maybe that food that was in my fridge, maybe it was a bit off. Maybe that's what made me sick. I'll try and you know, be better at microwaving it in the future or something like that. And then, and then as we, we went on, then uh, I started getting sick like every week. And I'd be like, yeah, well, that's okay, because that happens to people, don't they? People can't sometimes get sick every week. You know, that's just the thing. I started losing weight, and uh, I got very, very skinny. And uh, eventually it, it got to a point where I just couldn't ignore it anymore. I was uh, with, uh, it was like a week before I got married, and the day of my Bucks party, I was with my brother-in-law and we had to go do some shopping for the wedding. And so first we went to Ikea and, uh, oh, sorry, the, the day before I'd been a bit sick. And so my mom had said to me, because I was staying at their place because I didn't have a house to live in at that point in time. She's like, just eat, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, just eat something simple. So I had a piece of toast with Vegemite on top, which is like gluten 
covered in gluten. So I ate that, and then, then we went to Ikea, and I started feeling really, really bad. And you know, you get in the, the Ikea maze, and like, we started in the maze, I was feeling, eh, so-so, and then by the end of the maze, I was feeling really terrible. I was like, oh my goodness, can we just get out of here? So we bought the things we needed, got out of there. Next stop was Costco. I said to my brother-in-law, you go in, I'll stay here. I cannot, I just cannot get out of the car. So I just lay back, and I felt terrible. My stomach ached. It was really unpleasant. And I was lying there, and I was like, oh, I, I can't stay here. I need to go. I need to go to the bathroom. So I hopped out of the car, and I ran towards Costco. And then at Costco, uh, you know, they have the, the ramp to get in there, and the ramp is like as long as the Great Wall of China, unless you like squish it up into an accordion. So I'm going up and up and up and up. And I'm like, I'm like oh, please, please, can I make it to the bathroom? Please, can I make it to the bathroom? I got to the Costco door, and the guy was like, do you have a membership? I was like, I need a membership at the bathroom. It's like, go, go. And I went to the bathroom, and that's all I'm going to say about the rest of that is if most people go to Costco to pick up in bulk, I went to drop off in bulk. That's... And now after that, I was like, this was bad. I need to go to the doctor. And I went to the doctor and the doctor did some blood tests and she was like, Tom, you've had this disease for a very long time. And I was like, aren't I brave? And she was like, no, you're an idiot. And so then, uh, then I stopped eating barley, wheat, oats, rye, and uh, barley, wheat, yeah, that's, I stopped eating gluten, and my life has improved. I put on weight. It's been great. Uh, and so, but now I have, I have a new way to live, and I have new things I have to do. The old things I did, I can't do. They bring me sickness and death. The new things I do, they bring me life. So if my old way of life was that I ate Tim Tams, my new way of life is that I eat sad chocolate biscuits from the gluten-free aisle in Coles. If the old way of life was that I used to eat TV snacks, the new way of life is that I eat TV snacks but the gluten-free version, so they're all right. If the old way of life was that I ate porridge, the new way of life is that I eat quinoa porridge. If the old way of life was that I ate you know, the classic Angus beef burger at McDonald's, the new way of life is that I still eat it, but I, take the, I don't get the bun and I, get, I put corn thins on the top and the bottom and get a crunchy burger and it's still pretty great. The, the old way of life brings me death, the new way brings me life, and, and I've got to keep choosing the new way of life, otherwise I just am going to get... I'm going to be in trouble. Things are going to go badly for me. Now, what we see in this passage is this continual contrast between the old way of life and the new way of life. The old way of doing things and the new way of doing things. The old way brings death. The new way brings life. The old way will make you unhappy. The new way will, will give you a, a happiness because you are living the way that Jesus calls you to live. And so we're going to work our way uh, through this passage and going to see some of the things that we get called to do. But before we go through these things, the first thing I want us to think about is why are we doing these things? Because sometimes we can read the Bible and we can say, look, the Bible is just a bunch of rules. It's just God saying, do this, do this, do this. We say, why? It's because I said so. And if he's God, he can say so. If there's anyone with the authority to just tell us to do things, whether they're arbitrary or not, it's God. He's able to do that. But that's not what happens here. That's not how the Bible works. God doesn't ask us to do anything that he isn't willing to do himself. 
and he hasn't already done himself. Uh, who watches the TV show Hunted? Not many of you. That's okay, it's an all right show. I've been watching it a bit lately. The way the show works is uh, there's a bunch of, there's 18 people who got dumped in the middle of Melbourne and they had to run away and they had to escape for, spend 21 days on the run being hunted down by some authorities. And they're like ex-police people and ex-military people and ex-intelligence people. And I watched the show and, uh, and I watch them as people get tracked on their mobile phones and people, their, their intelligence people are hacking into their emails, into their social media. And I'm watching them like, you guys are so dumb. What are you doing? Why did you take the phone with you when you drove there? Leave the phone at home. You're so stupid. And I, and I, I want to tell them, you know, don't do that. Do this. Go over there. Get there. You are s- such an idiot. Like I'm, I get so angry at these people as if I know what I'm talking about. As if I'm some expert at being on the run. I've never been on the run in my life except playing tip. And that everyone knows where I am. So, you know, like, like if the police wanted to track me down, they could do it pretty easily. I have no idea what I am talking about. I am just a hypocrite yelling at these people thinking that I'm smarter than them, but I'm not. That's not what God does for us. If they made a TV show which was doing youth talks, from the Bible, and then I yelled at people like, what are you doing? That's a terrible illustration. That's not what the Bible says. Maybe I'd know what I was talking about because I've spent the past 21 years of my life doing youth talks. I've done it so I can actually tell people what to do. I could even turn up on the show and say, hey, you know, you should make more butt jokes. That's funny. And they'll be like, oh, thank you for that encouragement. Now I know how to be a good youth speaker. Now maybe I'm not, you know, I'm okay. My talks don't suck and that's about the level that I'm aiming for. But I've done it and so I could encourage people to do it. The rest of my life, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Jesus does not do that. He knows exactly what he's talking about. When he calls us to be people who are living faithfully to God's rules, it's not because he's like, I'm up here, I think I know what I'm talking about, but I, have, I don't. Jesus has lived it. Jesus has lived the perfect life. The only thing that Jesus hasn't done that he asks us to do is repent. And he doesn't have to repent because the rest of his life he lived perfectly. He never asks us to live a life that he hasn't lived before. What we see here in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We do the good life. We, we follow our new life because Jesus has lived that life for us already. And he gave his life so that we could live this life. And what we see here, it says that he gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. These are words uh, which sound a little bit weird, like what does it mean to be a fragrant offering? But if you spend time reading the Old Testament, you'll see that these are words that go with the sacrifice, the sacrificial system in the temple. Jesus lived a life of sacrifice for us, and now we are called to live a life of sacrifice for God. It might cost us to do these things that the Bible asks us to do, but we are doing it as worship to a God who has already lived the life that he calls us to live. And so what are these things that he calls us to live? Let's have a look. 
We start in uh, chapter 4, verse 25. It says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you are all members of one body. The first thing we are asked to do is to be people who speak truthfully. I don't know how often you lie. Some of you probably tell small lies and some of you probably tell big lies. Some of you probably lie a little bit. Some of you probably lie a lot. But all of us, some will have difficulty with telling the truth at some point in time or other. I regularly lie when I go to Coles and they say, do you have a flybys card? And I say, nope, but I do. But I just can't be bothered getting my wallet. Now that's not a big lie, but it's my first little lie. Other lies are much bigger. Like if my boss says to me, and this has happened, he's like, I've got a project due. And like, have you got that project ready? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. it's ready really soon. And then it's not, but I'm lying. The reason why I'm lying is because I want my boss to think that I'm on top of things and think I'm great. Now, the reason why we lie most of the time is because we are afraid of people seeing the true us. We don't want people to know us really. And so we lie so we look better than we actually are. But if Jesus has loved us and accepted us as we are, and he knows us in our deepest sins, and he loves us and accepts us even like that, then we don't need to lie. Because if we are known and loved, then other people can know us. And whether they love us or not, it doesn't matter compared to the love that we have in Jesus. So we can be honest. And we're called to speak truthfully to our neighbor because we are all members of one body. One of the big things that Ephesians talks about that we haven't talked about much here is that Ephesians is all about unity, about God's people working together. And so we speak truthfully to each other so that we know that we can trust each other. How can we be the people of God who go out to the world to show the love of God and ask them to trust us that what we say about Jesus is true if we cannot trust each other? And so we need to be honest with each other and honest with the people who are not Christians because this will show people the the character of God, the God who is truthful. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see that he spoke truthfully even when it got him in trouble because he knows that it's important to put off falsehood. There is the old life of lies and there's the new life of truth. Let's choose to be people of the truth. The next thing we see, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, the first thing to see here is that uh, it is not sinful to be angry. It says, in your anger, do not sin. And so you can get angry and you cannot sin. You look at the life of Jesus, you see that there are times that he got angry. When he went into the temple and he saw that people were exploiting others, he turned over tables. He cast people out of the temple. He was angry, but he was angry about important things. And maybe there are important things that you get angry about. There are things that are worth getting angry about in this world. If you are angry because people aren't doing enough to deal with climate change, that's something that's worth getting angry about because it's going to affect your life and it's going to affect the life of the poorest people in this world. If you are angry because, because there are people uh, who, who are getting rich off the backs of poor people, then that's worth getting angry about. 
If you're angry because somebody hurt someone that you love, that's worth getting angry about. If you are angry because of injustice that's been done to you, that's worth getting angry about. But the challenge is, in your anger, do not sin. So when you are angry, don't let that be a chance for you to go and hurt someone else. But because I am hurt, I am going to hurt someone else. Because I am angry, I'm going to cause, I'm going to cause damage to someone else physically, emotionally, reputationally. I'm not going to do it. The next thing it says, it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You know that thing where you, someone hurts you and then you stew on it for ages, you think about it? Now, this is a thing that might not happen to many of you much, but recently, well, actually not that recently, but I'm still thinking about it. I was going to park my car and I had a spot all lined up. I was like, I'm just going to reverse back in there because I'm really good at reversing. And then another guy was like, yeah, I'm going to take that. And I was like, what? That was my spot. And then for like, like the hours after that, I was like stewing. I was like, how could that guy steal my spot? It was really clear. I was going into that spot. It was really, I was like, if I, I, what, I should have done something about that. And I'm thinking about what I would have done. Maybe I should have knocked on his window and said, you stole my spot. You know, there are, there are, there are many good spots out there, but, and I worked hard for that one. I saw it, it was mine. And then when, you know when you lie in bed and someone's hurt you and you think about the speeches that you're gonna give them if you ever see them again? And you're so inspiring at that point in time. You're going to stand up, you're going to speak and their music's going to play and they're going to start crying and be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I did that. And then you see them in the morning and you're like, you just feel angry about them, at them but you didn't actually do anything about it. I, that's me at least, I don't know. Maybe you do do something about it. The point is, don't stew on it. Don't hold on to that anger. Let your anger be, a, be an impetus to do something. So if you are angry because someone hurts you, then go and talk to them about it. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Go and reconcile with them. Be honest with them. Say, what you did hurt me. The way you treated me, I think it was wrong. And maybe they will say sorry. Maybe they'll not realize that they hurt you and you can reconcile the relationship. Maybe they won't, but at least you've got it off your chest and you can move on. You can forgive them. You can leave them so that the devil doesn't get a foothold. But if you hold on to sin, Satan will grow bitterness in you and more anger and you'll just want to hurt these people. Let's keep going. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And let's skip down to further on down. Uh, in chapter five, verse four, it says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The way we talk is really important. The way we talk about the people around us can have a big effect on people. Sometimes the thing that we hold on to are like, the thing that you shouldn't do when you're a Christian is you shouldn't swear. Christians don't swear. And that's true. But there's a lot of stuff that you can do to hurt someone without swearing. If you were to walk up to someone and say to them, you are worthless. And I wish I'd never met you. You didn't swear once. 
You didn't use any obscene language. But they will hold on to those words for a long time. It will hurt them. It will not build them up. Chances are you can remember hurtful words that people have said to you. Words that, that, that you might be trying to let go of, but they just, Satan just keeps whispering them in your ear. That is unwholesome talk. Sometimes the way that we joke about things which are good from God, when we joke about sex, when we joke about other people, it hurts us and it hurts others and it hurts God because what we should be doing is being thankful for the things he has given us. Sometimes the way we talk about other people tears them down. Sometimes we gossip about people behind their back. Sometimes we say things about other people which we know aren't actually true, but they're just fun to talk about. And it tears people down. But we look at how Jesus lived. What did he do with his words? He brought life. He brought truth. He built people up. So how can we use our words to build people up? How can you gossip about people behind their back in good ways? So you talk about people and say, you know that girl over there? She is so nice. Very generous. The most generous. She is, I would like to be more like her. And you're like, oh, me too. Yeah, yeah, I think she's great. Gossip about people behind their back and go, you're like, oh, that guy, you know what? He's a stand-up guy. Oh, you can rely on him. I wish I was more reliable like him. I'm going to try and be more like him. Yeah. Gossip about people behind their back in good ways. So if word gets back to you that people have been gossiping about you, yeah, if word gets back to them that you've been gossiping about them, all they hear is good stuff. They're going to like you more as well. Sometimes people have gossiped about me in good ways and it's great. People come and say, oh, the parents have been talking about you, Tom. I'm like, oh no, like, we think you're doing a great job. Oh, yeah, great, woohoo. And then I do a better job. And then don't just gossip about people behind their back in good ways, tell it to their face. You know, you know what? I think you're bae, I think you're great. What a good, you're so good. I love the way you encourage me. I love the way you pray for me. I love the way you challenge me with the Bible. It was so good last night listening to the testimonies and hearing people talk about the role that Josh had played in their lives, the role that their parents had played in their lives, the role their friends and youth leaders had played in their lives. That's good talk that builds people up. Do that. Text your friends. Tell them, I'm praying for you. Or I think you, uh, this is a good thing I love about you. Or just, here's a joke. Not one of Tom's jokes, but you know, <laughs> just encourage people with your words, build them up. You can do a lot of damage with your words and you can do a lot of great stuff with your words. Be someone who builds people up with your words and people will know that you are great and they will look to Jesus and see how great he is because it's because of him that you are like that. And lastly, let's just talk quickly about swearing. Swearing is sometimes very unhelpful. And if nothing else, we stand out as Christians if we choose not to swear, whether or not the words we say are bad or not. If we choose not to swear, we will stand out because everyone else is swearing and people will notice that our language is different. 
and that we, do, we treat things that are good things of God not as bad things to be turned into bad words but as good things to be celebrated and thank God for. So let's be people who have language which honours God and honours other people and we stand out because of the way we talk. Let's keep going because we've got a little bit more to go and a little bit of time left. All right, it says this, uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, or just as in Christ, God forgave you. No, sorry, this, uh, we're missing some words again, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, what this is saying is that when we, this is, this is about holding on to our anger. And when we try and hurt people and destroy people, it just pulls apart God's people. But instead, when we, when we do that, that makes the Holy Spirit sad because as God's people, if we attack each other, then, then the temple of the Holy Spirit, it falls apart. But instead, if when people hurt us, we forgive one another and we have compassion on each other. If when someone hurts us, we, we think of the best possible excuse they might have for hurting us and then, and then see what we can do to restore that relationship, then that brings us closer together and builds us up and makes us a great witness to those around us. Let's keep going. Uh, here is uh, the, the last bit that we look at. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. You guys are teenagers. And being a teenager and dealing with sex is tough. It really is. Part of the reason is this. Uh, When the Bible was written, people would get married when they were teenagers. Like they would get married really young. And so the time between when they reached sexual maturity and when they got married was a very short time. But for you, in today's society, if you start getting interested in sex around the age of 10, 11, 12, 13, around that age, but then you don't get married until you're 20, 21, 22. If you're a Christian, you get married young. Or if you're like me and you're old and you get married at 30 and everyone's worried about you that you're just going to live with cats for the rest of your life. There's a long time between when you reach sexual maturity and when you actually get to have sex in a way that is biblically appropriate. Because the place where the Bible says that sex should exist, that sexual intercourse should happen, is within the context of a faithful Christian marriage between a man and a woman. And so anything outside of that is what the Bible talks about as sexual immorality. And so that's really tough to go through what could be a really long time and not know how to express yourself sexually. And that's why we have such a huge issue with porn. And that's why we have a huge issue with people dating each other and sleeping with each other. That's why we have a huge issue with hookup culture. That's why we have a huge issue with, with people texting each other and asking for nudes. That's why, we have, an, that's why we, have, we have these sexual issues because we don't have a safe place to express our sexuality. It's tough. It's really tough. 
And I want to acknowledge that now because if you are struggling sexually or if you're feeling the pressure because we live in a world that's obsessed with sex, if that is tough for you, then know you are not alone. And know that you are not someone who is a terrible, terrible person. But you have a God-given desire within you that's trying to find a way to express itself and sometimes it expresses itself badly in ways that are inappropriate, in ways that hurt you and hurt other people. But the challenge for us is this, that we would be people who use sex well. That what the Bible teaches us about sex is that when a husband and a wife have sex in the context of marriage, it is an expression of how much God loves his people. If you read Ephesians chapter five after this, it talks about marriage being an expression of God's love for the church. Just as Jesus gave himself up for the church, a husband and wife give themselves up for each other. But that's the place where you express it. So if you choose to remain sexually faithful until then, if you say, I'm not going to have sex until marriage, I'm not going to be inappropriate before marriage, I'm not going to look at porn, I'm not going to ask other people to behave inappropriately, I'm not trying to pressure people into sex, I'm not going to practice hooking up with other people, I'm going to wait until marriage and I'm going to work hard at that. When you do that, you show that you are being faithful to God and you are showing the faithfulness of God to us because God calls us to be people who have one God. We worship one God and we give ourselves up to one God. And in marriage, we give ourselves up to one person and one person only. Rather than we say everyone else is for our pleasure, we are greedy and we use people for ourselves. Don't be that person. Be that person who says, I honour God and I honour other people and I'm going to do it well. I'm going to use my sexuality well. Now that's a little bit to say for a really big topic. But let me say, if this is something you are struggling with, you are not alone and you are not unloved. God knows what you are going through. Jesus knows what you are going through. He was single for his entire life. And we can be sure that he had sexual desires. He knows what you are going through and he loves you in it. And there are people who want to help you and support you, whatever it is that is tough for you. Now I've gone way over time. So we're going to finish this last bit really quickly. And then we're going to go and have lunch. All right, lastly, we have this. It says to us, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has or has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now you may read this and say, does this mean that if I've committed sins that I can't be in God's kingdom? But that's not what it means. It means that uh, if you are someone who says you follow Jesus, but instead you, ki- you just give yourself over to these sins, You give yourself over to being someone who is uh, greedy or immoral or impure. You say, I will just embrace sin because there's actually, I'm just indulging my human desires. I'm just being true to myself. I'm just going to live the way I've been created to live, even if it hurts other people. But I am a Christian. If the words you say and the life you live do not match up, 
then you have no place in God's kingdom. And that's not because God doesn't love you, but it's because you have not actually given yourself over to God. But if you are someone who says, I love Jesus and I follow him and I'm working my darndest in the power of God to be, to be someone who is obedient to God and sometimes I get it wrong. Maybe regularly I get it wrong. Maybe every hour I get it wrong, but I'm still trying to follow Jesus. Then you are welcome in his kingdom. There is grace and forgiveness for you. If you're working at following Jesus, even if it's tough and you keep getting it wrong, you are welcome in his kingdom. But if you're someone who says, I follow Jesus, but your, but your life is completely different from that, then you need to repent and turn back to Jesus and follow him and give yourself over to him so that you might be able to live for him. All right, that was a tough one. I promise you the next one's gonna be easier than that. Thank you for sticking with me. Let me encourage you. As you go and live your new life, remember that you are doing it because you're following the example of Jesus. Jesus has gone before you. He has walked the path before you. He knows what it's like and he is with you in it and he will empower you to do it. Little by little, bit by bit, you will make it through as you turn from your old life and start living your new life. You can do it. You have Jesus with you, empowering you. I'm gonna say a quick prayer and then I think we're gonna have, I don't know, the things will happen. I'll pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that uh, we have you who has gone before us, lived the life that you call us to live. I pray that we will follow your example, living lives of worship for you so that our new life uh, will be a reflection of the life you lived for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. I hope you love Jesus just that little bit more. If you want to get your hands on the Ephesians devotions, then head to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. There you can also find my other books, videos, and plenty of other stuff. So feel free to check it out. And don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.